James Linton, thank you for joining me today. Welcome. So when I Google your name, the first thing that comes up is that you hacked the White House, which is all quite exciting. Um, yeah, a bit too exciting for my parents, but yeah, it was <laughs> it was a, a moment in time, definitely, that um, proved very pivotal, actually. A lot more pivotal than I guess I appreciated it was going to be. Okay, really? Yeah. Because you're definitely, I would say, synonymous with that now. That's kind of, from my perspective, when I was researching you, that's kind of front and centre. Would you say that you don't feel like it really represents you now? Um, it's hard to go back. I mean, I've, I've heard other people that were kind of renowned for hacking type things, mm. finding it very hard to sort of regress back and think of the mindset they were in okay. at the time of doing it. And I think that's true. And I think that's true of anything that we do. You know, can you put yourself back in the mindset of three Christmases ago and stuff mm. like that? You just can't do it, can you? No. So whilst it was quite a... Um, pivotal moment it, it was one that I can't really experience quite as vividly as I could I'm okay. still only kind of five years away from it so I can I get glimpses of it now and again yeah I think the the mindset and the slightly skewed mindset and the collection of um, unhappiness in my actual job at work um sort of a few struggles with mental health and things like that um just a collection of pressures on the fact I was approaching 40, I think, and all of that sort of manifested it yes. into the into the email prankstering. Um, so it was a very British way of breaking down, I guess. But it wasn't <laughs> criminal as such, but it was it was kind of kicking out and, and, yeah. and just trying to um, find some escapism, I think, more than anything. Mm, it's interesting you mention age there because I turned 30 last year and I definitely feel like I never thought about age before. Mm. I was just, I'm the youngest of three. I was just living my life, never really thought about age at all. And then suddenly when I was coming up to the end of my 20s, I was like, oh my God, I should have been doing this. I should be doing that. And you start analyzing everything. And when you mention that kind of boredom that drove you into the direction that you ended up in, yeah, yeah. I think as soon as my 30th pass, I feel normal again. And actually I feel so much better now. Like I've learned so much and things. But it is interesting that age can have such an impact. Definitely. Uh, I think there's also a, a concert teetering of, you, you see your parents getting older and then mm. you think, actually, they're only, it's only 20 years or 30 years away from me. Mm. And I see how they're slowing down and stuff. And, and that kind of fuels this miniature panic. I guess people would call it like a midlife crisis in some respects, but just realizing that life doesn't last forever. It isn't as long as you think it is. And you know, the years start flying by and, I'm not saying all that's to blame for deciding to try and trick people at the White House and banks <laughs> and things like that. But I think there was this sort of um, kind of disconnect between um, my, my sort of feelings and being able to regulate them and, and what I was actually doing, I guess. So your background is actually creative and it seems like you fell into cybersecurity, which was similar to me. I'm also from a creative background and I'm very pleased to have ended up here, but it was completely an accident. With your graphic design, were you graphic design and web design? Yeah, I kind of fell into that as well. I was going to um, say, was that an in active a weird decision? Way because I always wanted to be a car designer. That was the thing okay. that I really wanted to do when I was a kid. And um, I was constantly drawing cars and things like that. And sort of university and applying for university I just hit this blockage I just couldn't kind of seem to seem to do it I'm not sure why a lot of my friends moved on and some didn't obviously they went into jobs but there was this weird kind of glass wall that made me think actually no I'm not gonna go and do this scary thing and, and try and study car design I'm gonna you know stick with what I was probably a bit more I felt it was an easier option, which was to go to a local college and study graphics and, and things like that. Um, and looking back, I think that was possibly an issue that came up because um, I later turned out to have autism. And I think that is why I struggled with that kind of the having to suddenly be, um, I guess, my own kind of advocate and, and to push myself out into, into right. the world away from you know my family and things like that. And that was probably quite a big turning point for me because I couldn't understand why I was struggling to do these things. So there was a sort of reconciling going on. So I kind of 
design and, and graphic design, whilst I really enjoyed it, that was not the dream that I grew up with that I thought I'd be able to pursue. So there was already a kind of slight redrafting of, of my, what my career was going to be type thing. And how long were you a designer for? Um, <laughs> well, my worksheets might say differently, but oh, it was no. uh, probably about, I guess, 20 years. I mean, oh, right. literally, wow. literally from the minute I left college, um, I got a job and I stayed in the first job for kind of seven years. And, and that was another thing I think it was a part of my autism. I found it very hard to kind of move on once I was in a job. Right. I think happens to a lot of people doesn't it but I, f I found that it, once I was kind of in a routine it was very hard to break it so I would literally stay in a company until the company collapsed and I was redundant sometimes right um I would just be the last one uh, sat there as they, they so was that us. even if you were unhappy in a job then or were you just not unhappy yeah when... quite a lot of times um especially towards the end I would get more unhappy generally um and then be frustrated that I couldn't couldn't act to change it but I think I don't think that's just down to autism I think a lot of people end up in a situation like that but again it was this struggling to be my own advocate and to to make these bolder decisions I think there was a pattern forming that that was tricky um oh. but then weirdly I went to work freelance um as a designer web designer and building kind of flash animations and stuff and I moved around all over the place um working at different companies and it was I found that, you know, easy to do, and I, I had no problem walking into somewhere. And so, do you mean you were with an agency? And you um, I was kind of work, either working directly with companies or through employment agencies. Okay. That kind of okay. Freelancing me into places. Right. So that is very different then to just sitting in one job for. Yeah, yeah, years. definitely. I'd, I, yeah, I hadn't really thought back and thought that was actually quite a change, but I think because I knew. I excelled at what I did. I was good at what I did. And, and again, a bit like the, the um, speaking, I realised that once there was no mystery to it, that I could turn up and nobody would ever ask me anything that I couldn't do. I was like, right, this mm. sort of, I feel comfortable in this now. Mm. I can continue to do it. Um, so, yeah, I did that for five, six, seven maybe a bit longer, and then went to work full-time at an advertising agency. Okay. And then I'm intrigued. So what you said was that you were starting to struggle with kind of mundanity, you were getting bored, you yeah. were feeling like you wanted to make a life change, but you didn't know what it was. And maybe that's more hindsight has given you that clarity. But at the time, I'm interested in how you go from being a web designer mm. to the phishing scams, but not only... I mean, you kind of, it seems like you purposefully went for high profile celebrities and politicians. Was that an active decision or was that just who fell for it? Um, yeah, no, I mean, it was. It started at work. I tricked people at work. Okay. Um, I pretended to be my own CEO. Did you? Um, and did you get caught? Well, slightly. I had a, a one horrendous time um, where the person I just tricked, I'd said that they'd uh, been selected to go and represent us at the intercompany games and they had to oh fly my to gosh the middle east and there'd be swimming competitions and sort of global cuisine and all this stuff and i had somebody on chat and they were like a stooge and they were watching and they go yeah he's completely fallen for it. he's actually like really happy and oh um, yeah i was <laughs> but the tables were to turn the smugness was to turn to panic okay um but then I turned around in my chair and I could see him. He was just there walking um, down this gantry. And the gantry only led to one place, and that was where the CEO sat. So I knew instantly, you know, I wasn't daft enough to not figure out that this, the proximity of me tricking him with the fact him walking with a smile on his face towards the CEO was a huge problem. Oh, right. Um, and I saw them kind of stood there. I couldn't really hear what was saying going on. I could just see the CEO's face going like this back at him. Um, but yeah, I nearly had a panic attack. So never pretend to be somebody who's still in the building. That would be okay. So how the person that you were tricking there was it like your friend that you were just playing a prank on? I think it just started. I think. Okay. I, I think before now I've always said he's, he was like oh a workmate. Oh my god! I think it was. That is so funny. I think so it was worse funny. than that. I think. Um, oh no! I mean, we, we interacted a bit, but yeah, it was. <laughs> it was a bit. And was that the first one that you did then? Um, I did another one on. He was a close friend at work and like, can you meet after work in X meeting room? Um, if you've got a solicitor, bring them as well. 
Oh my um, goodness me! Yeah, horrendous, eh? But he he, he should have expected it because I'd put his um, electronic cigarette in uh, Carolina Reaper chili oil. Okay. The week before, so we were always kind of pranking yeah, each other. Yeah. Okay. Um, but the minute he read it, and I was sat slightly behind him, and he didn't check his screen for like an hour, so this like email that I sent to him as the, the fake CEO was just sat there. And I was like, just open it oh my goodness he didn't do it for ages and then I, I did notice him like turn his head around and the minute he kind of read it he just went like that straight to me so oh okay he'd figured it out he'd rumbled me he'd, he'd sort of yes he detected in the dna of that message maybe it was just too horrible to be yeah true but also i'm surprised that it was a gmail account because when i first heard that you'd been doing this sort of prank at work yeah i assumed that you had access to make an at work email address so that you're no no I, the, the, the thing that really triggered it off for me was this one little realization that when i get an email through how many times do i actually click on that button to to okay to, to true check what the true. actual sending address yeah was. you're right and I ran through scenarios in my head and I thought, well, I've kind of never done it. I've never questioned it. So I thought, well, this is quite interesting. If I have the same display name and if I, um, and I know some email clients will actually show the email address, but at this time we were using uh, Google Workspace or whatever it's called now. And it didn't, it hid it. Um, yeah. So I thought, well, and did I you match- put the signature in? Um, I don't think we even had a signature that we used, but now I didn't put it in because this was another bias that kind of humans have that signatures are either there, not there, or it's a sent from iPhone, but nobody kind of questions. Mm. They always think there's some mystical setting in the the email uh, program that's deciding when to put the signatures on. So Mm. I quickly figured out that signatures didn't really matter. Um, but yeah, I, 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 it was literally just a, a, a Gmail account and that mm. gave somebody else, um, what was it, a secret mission to go into our part of the office where me and my friends sat to print something out at five o'clock every day um, to see uh, because stuff was going missing from that part of the office and to just keep a lookout as you, you're printing out. And I'd, um, me and my friend, we'd got a load of cables, <laughs> cables here, um, and we'd, we'd put them in our bags hanging out in a very comedic kind of cartoonish way. Just again, the CEO had come back into the office. So all of a sudden, it was like, abort, abort. And I confessed to what, why I wasn't the real CEO. And I got punched for that. But <laughs> thinking in about the face. it. No, no, no. Okay. Just on the arm. Okay, fine. Um, the, face would have been, <laughs> the face would have been justified, though. Oh. But again, maybe looking back, you know, was that any worse than the sort of. Um, a, a phishing simulation at work that's that goes a bit too far because it wasn't really if you know it wasn't an empathetic thing to do it was never really thinking how is this person going to react to this um you know what happens if they did come up and they did kind of you've kind of tricked them into grassing the I don't really want to use the word grass in that context, but check them into grassing up some people that they work with. And I think that would have been morally a step too far. I think I'd, I'd gone too far with the, if it's funny then, or if I think it's funny, then I can keep doing it. So yeah, looking back, I would definitely say that my empathy is, is definitely revealed itself a lot more. I'm not saying that. I mean, <clears throat> workplace pranks are kind of harmless. And I think things like that, I don't know. I don't feel like it was malicious or nasty. Yeah, it was yeah. just playful and silly and it doesn't sound like you had any like ill intent. You weren't trying to get people to do stuff that would actually affect their job. No, no. I think I overthought it afterwards and thought, oh, maybe the implication of this would be that they would be. And it was kind of... I mean, I thought about it afterwards and I thought, well, you know, on YouTube, you know, grew up seeing people just slamming custard pies into strangers faces and stuff like that and people laughing and i'm not saying that you necessarily think that's right but you think that as long as it's funny then these kind of things are allowed and i guess that carried over into the the email pranks where i didn't really care how stupid i made somebody look no because i saw that as being egg on the face that would slide off not too long afterwards um i didn't really give it any deeper thought than that no so did you get caught at work or did you progress into doing this kind of beyond work 
Um, How did that transition? Work, okay, so you did get caught. My, uh, yeah, it was my manager who was also my friend who said, you know, okay, you've okay. Got to, you don't realise you are going to get sacked. If you and was the this. word phishing used at any point? No, no, I still it hadn't really come across the web. We didn't do security training at work, so this was, this was purely from um, wanting to, to trick yeah. colleagues, basically. Yeah. Um, but I did like the, the psychology element of it. Another thing that I, well, I wanted to do as a youngster, as a kid, <laughs> maybe not a kid, a bit of an older kid, um, was maybe go into psychology. So I'd always okay. liked the idea that if you make this button red in web design, maybe people are more likely to click it. But I always found that really interesting, mm. how people could kind of be um, influenced into doing stuff, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I completely cut, um, stopped that. And then I had a falling out with my bank, uh, Barclays Bank, and suddenly I decided, right, I'm going to use this suite of... <laughs> suite of attack weapons i've got i i'm, I'm gonna do a prank but on the ceo of barclays okay um, because they sort of deemed that the complaint i had wasn't valid and, and that was fair enough I, I you know i had to accept that but i didn't have to accept that i couldn't have a yeah <laughs> i laugh. see so it actually came out of the kind of moving away from work and doing it for a laugh at work it was then i can use this as a consequence for the way they treated you basically yeah, yeah, I thought I can, I can reapply this and, and take this, you know, the, the proof of concept at work. Yeah. Somebody else. Um, um, so what did you do to the CEO of Barclays? Um, I pretended to be the chairman and sent him, I think it was on, because what triggered it was, I was reading the news and I saw that it was their uh, annual like shareholders meeting. Okay. So instantly my brain was like, it was, <laughs> kind of drew this whole picture of, what would this CEO be doing? Wow. Uh, it was like 8 p.m. So I didn't have much of a window to play with because I decided, right, I'm doing this now. Um, I was just lying on my bed at the time. There was no sort of sat at a yeah, laptop yeah, or yeah. stuff. It was as many people do nowadays. My other half was on our iPad doing something and I was on my phone and Netflix is on. Okay. Uh, cats are running around and stuff. I'm probably asleep. Um, <laughs> and I thought, right, well, look, let's kind of activate all the this attack process that i that i have i guess um let's let's try and make a bit of a fool of the seer of barclays um so yeah i thought you know where is he now is he in some sort of you know leather chair in some gentleman's club having a cigar talking to maybe the chairman is he, is he actually with the chairman the person i'm about to pretend to i be? was gonna say how did you not you know you you don't know that they're like friends no 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 it was, it was all hedging although the news article that i read about it had mentioned that the chairman had been supportive of the ceo and said some nice words and it also mentioned that somebody specifically i can't remember his i think it was mason mahon or something um had been disruptive at the event so i instantly kind of had the protagonists of a message that i could i could send as the as the chairman um and i think i said like mason Mahon is as brusque as he is ill-informed and you did well today i'll always have you back you know that kind of okay it just seemed to tumble out quite naturally <laughs> sort of a slightly um flowery writing style um and again it was just a gmail account as the i was chairman, gonna say okay so it's gmail sent to the the ceo and I put my phone down. And How then, did you know the CEO's email address? Ah, well, that was interesting. During our back and forth, um, w when we were having our dispute, I, I realised that I was quite good at figuring out what people's email addresses were. I'd sent him one, and he'd not replied to me, but he'd sent a letter that referenced um, after receiving your email, da, 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 da. so I, that had validated that I had reached him. Um, and what was it, just first name, last name, at? Yeah, I think it, wow. was, it was as simple as that. Um, and I was later to find out that the reason it didn't have like external sender on it was they didn't have that um, implemented at the time on mobile devices. So mm. it didn't show up. Apparently afterwards they changed. There's a new story somewhere about how they changed it after I pranked him. And, and oh, did. right. So yeah, a bit of red teaming, a bit, <laughs> bit of security improvement there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. And we had this long conversation and, uh, I even used like a heuristic on a poem, which said "whistleblower" down the side because he was in a bit of a, 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 um, a bit embroiled in a drama about some whistleblower or something else, trying to out one. 
Um, so I was throwing everything at it, the kitchen sink, but it was all on the fly. And I guess that's the exciting bit for me, not having a kind of prearranged script. It was literally just the message comes through and you get that kind of rush of dopamine and mm. adrenaline and then you, you reply to it. And, you know, her girlfriend was like, what are you up to? And like, <laughs> Why? And she goes, because your heart rate has gone well up. And she could kind of detect it. Oh, right. Okay. And, um, obviously, I didn't say, you know, I'm just pretending I'm the chairman of Barclays Bank. I kind of bluffed it off a bit. I didn't lie. I just kind of said that was the, didn't concern her. Um, <laughs> and then the next day, I was like, wow, I've, you know, I've tricked the the CEO Barclays. It can me think even with some of my own clients, they do email me from their business emails, but quite often they're consultants at other companies. And so they will also email me from their Gmail. Yeah. And so if they were asking for like, can you resend over the invoice or something? If someone was just wanting to know what my rates were or something simple as that, yeah, I would yeah. quickly just reply with the information. And it does actually make you realize that you're right. You do trust it. Even if I could see that it said external and it was Gmail, I probably would have... Not yeah, yeah, it just kind of, I mean, th this isn't stuff I realised at the time either. No. I was just kind of trying stuff out. I, at the time, I probably thought I was some sort of psychological Darren Brown genius <laughs> that was able to kind of get these people to, to reply without them noticing. But it was only later I realised that the, the thing that was really making this work wasn't down to me. It was down to, you know, trust and human behaviour and the fact that we were kind of mm. the last... 400 messages with this person have been real how would you actually pick up on something not being right and so how did Barclays how did that close that one then did they find out that it was you uh they did yeah because uh, the next day I sent the email account the logins to it to a uh, journalist at the Financial Times oh did you and they published the story oh right um, so even right at the beginning you were openly talking about what you were doing yeah yeah I, I thought you know I, obviously good at this whatever but this did you is. have a pseudonym let's, let's at the time you didn't have yeah, your identity I set up a, a twitter account and just called myself i was like what should i call myself and i was like the email prankster i'll go with okay. that because it's very prescriptive i thought if we go with the joker then a load of batman fan art <laughs> beat me in a seo um let's just go with that and it, it always used to say like the self-proclaimed or self-described email prankster and it's like well what else would you call me i'm doing email pranks it's like it's as prescriptive. Yeah, okay. As but if you Google that now, even now, it's still the kind of highest result. I've not done anything since that. And nobody's kind of copied what I've done because obviously they're not daft enough. But um, yeah, so that got published. And then they, um, a load of other media places picked up on it. And everyone away was kind of high fiving me, you know, a little win for the, or a win for the, the little man. Oh. Um, and then obviously that was quite addictive in a way. That was everything that was... So people at work did know that the email prankster was you? Yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's it's tricky to think, but yeah, they knew that Barclays was me and kind of nobody else. So when it got bigger then, when you moved on from Barclays and you realised that you were onto something and it, it was something that you were doing yeah. and it was being publicised, your colleagues knew that it was you? I, yeah, I've, I've never really gone back and thought it over, but yeah, definitely. Because that's interesting. Because they You'd wouldn't think... be able to unknow it. But no. Yeah, cause I definitely, because some people would go like, oh, have you seen that? And they'd be on my lock screen like a reply from Eric Trump or something. Oh my goodness um, me. And there was just kind of, it was almost like people just sort of accepted it. It was a bit of a weird hobby I had. Um, but I don't think management accepted it as much as, and, and rightly so, you know, it was... Again, I think it was part of the autism and the ADHD, this obsessiveness, this desire for always making or, or kind of one-upmanship from the next thing. And obviously I'd made some media headlines with Barclays Bank and I thought, well, what do I do next? I'd like to... So then were you chasing the headlines? Were you wanting to make Kind of, press? yeah. I knew that there was a formula to... Because banks as well, I thought... Everyone was talking about the cybersecurity aspects of it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's terrible, isn't it? And I was like, right, this is kind of post-rationalizing. Why <laughs> just wanting to do it for the for the sake of it? This is giving it a reason. What can I do to kind of continue this? What's the formula for giving this legs and being able to sort of continue as the email prankster? I thought, well, let's trick another CEO of a bank. So I did the governor of the Bank of England, and that was successful, and that was... Um, in the news and that was only about I think it was a week later I'm not sure I forget now um, 
and then obviously thought, right, I've got a theme. Let's let's do more. So I went over, uh, went over, didn't go anywhere, but I targeted some American banks. So I did Goldman Sachs, Citibank, um, Morgan Stanley, um, tricked all that. They're kind of CEO. Mm. Um, and with people like Eric Trump, mm. were you motivated by your own political views? Yeah, yeah, I, I guess so. Because I'd gone on to um, Twitter to obviously release my pranks. I wasn't really on it before that. But in doing that, I, I started swirling around in uh, the ecosystem of Twitter. And it kind of pulls different um, outlooks together, doesn't it? And it was sort of i was getting more annoyed by what would only be described as more of the the right wing um things that were going on so it felt like a service to sort of prank them yeah Yeah. just to to make a bit of a a joke of some of their characters i guess okay Um, Mm, i guess that's what ultimately led me to towards the trump admin as well um but yeah there's definitely a bit of social justice warrior there and it probably went a bit further than i was expecting because i even tricked harvey weinstein at one point i would never kind of refer to that as a prank and and two of his his lawyers as well he's um solicited well i guess it's lawyers because they're american um but it looked like he was escaping with or going to wriggle out of the initial allegations and one of his lawyers had, had sort of pulled out of representing you and I don't know I just kind of threw myself into that and, and made him admit that he wouldn't um, put pressure on um, anyone that was accusing him of stuff or something like that anyway I can't remember it entirely but I think at that point I, I, I was a bit I was like am I really out of my depth here you know why why have I, I kind of done that I know that I didn't want him to get away with that but am I kind of like throwing this sort of lightning ball towards the situation you, I would be I a bit scared be of like poking the bear like I think there's one thing of like messing around with certain people and you're not yeah. actually doing anything to harm them you're just making them look a bit stupid mm. but when it comes to like the Trump administration I think I'd be a bit scared thinking it's amazing is how that many, somebody how that many I want to go up against I got that, that you like people like you're going to be black bagged and thrown into yeah <laughs> Um, good luck trying to get into America. You, you don't realize how. Have you tried to go to America and, since? Yeah, yeah, I've got my working visa. All oh, right, okay. Um, I had to go down there and have an interview, but it was. Um, Did you? Yeah, I don't think that was. I think they just do that occasionally. I don't think it was um, anything related to that. But yeah, it, it's not. I had no consequence. I've never spoke to any solicitors. I've never had any law enforcement contact me. I wanted that. There was no consequence. No, no. But there isn't every day. How many many cyber criminals send out an email every day literally trying to get money out of people or things like that? And there's no consequence. Right. And people who actually achieve that, who are in a different country and we know who they are, there's no consequence for them. So for me, pretending to be someone over email. Right. Apart from maybe someone taking um, some sort of civil thing against being annoyed about it, um, there really was, looking back, there was just absolutely no chance of it going any further. And did you know that when you were doing it? You knew that there was a really... I knew it was a bit of an uncashable check because I knew that the embarrassment factor that I was causing people is not something they'd want to then talk about in court. Right. So the uncashable check bit was an important important factor i guess in mm. achieving um a lack of customer complaints shall we say yeah collaborator complaints um because i just thought well i wouldn't want to stand up in court and go yeah i thought this was my colleague i thought he invited me to a party with stuffed tigers and you know you just wouldn't would you and it'd be pointless so yeah okay fine i kind of um and that's why i never used or later on never switched to using vpns or well i was gonna say so when you were doing all of this you Hmm. were doing it all in plain sight your friends and colleagues knew who you were and what you were doing even though you had this pseudonym and you were getting publicity it was kind of secret but you weren't actually trying to hide it very heavily no 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 i was absolutely terrible i'd love to have done like a banksy thing where i was just yeah well i thought you had when i when i saw it was a little bit like that for a while right but, and as with cyber criminals, uh, you know, all the mistakes they make about protecting their identity are often done 
before they've been successful at it. Ah. So all the, the, the first payments they've got, they've gone, yeah, just transfer it directly to my own account and, and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden they, they have this sort of exposure or this big incident that changes things and you can't go back and fix all the, yeah, the problems you're right. that were there before. So yeah. in a way, it was just a case of um, not caring that much and be... Um, just not having the patience with it, just mm. enjoying it while it was sort of unfolding. And did you connect with any other hackers or anything? Like while you were doing it, did you find any kind of community with people who were also doing that? Um, I think from the political side, quite a few people reached out with email addresses of important people and stuff. Okay. And never, some, some of them I never really knew where, where they were getting them from or who they, <laughs> who they were. Um, I didn't really use many of those, but yeah, it, it was strange how many people flocked towards you because they saw you as um, a, a way of dispensing some sort right. of... I'm not sure what, but... Oh, um, very interesting. And then you mentioned earlier when we were in the car about the fact that you were diagnosed with autism yeah. five years ago. Mm. And that that's kind of allowed you to look back at a lot of things through a different lens now. And you can see that decisions that you made or ways that you behave were because of that and I'm quite interested because we touched on this a little bit earlier about cybersecurity as an industry it seems to be full of neurodiverse people ADHD autism and yeah, yeah dyslexia dyslexia yeah. as well although I think dyslexia is probably I'm from the travel industry that was my background before and dyslexia I think was still quite open there yeah but I think Am I incorrect in thinking that cybersecurity attracts more people who are not neurodiverse because, or not? What What do you think? It's It's tricky for me to know. Not having the a, a very long history, yeah, of fine. All the different characters that are involved in it. Obviously, I see what's on social media, and I, I could definitely see why it would appeal to people who, um, especially kind of patterns and and logic based yeah. kind of things and thinking creatively. And... I mean, since I've worked in it, I definitely have worked with way more people who are openly autistic, and yeah. they'll tell you and they'll say, "Oh, when you're having a meeting with X, um, think about." Oh, we love telling people. Yeah, <laughs> like... but I think it's a good thing because I have not come across that in any other industry where people will say, "You've got a meeting with this person just yeah. to be aware they're autistic, and they might, you know, you might want to do it this way or that way." And that really helps me, like as a mm. videographer and someone who does content and stuff knowing how to make someone else feel comfortable is so good yeah yeah whereas i don't know whether outside of cyber security i've ever come across that i remember when i was first diagnosed and like the next day i was like i told my manager at the time and it's like do i have to tell hr or anything is no i don't think so i was like all right what, what, what do we do do is this the <laughs> it's like nothing had really changed no on that okay but i did and i always have um fought for you know, a, a job is is some money in the bank, some something that I want to do, uh, something that I enjoy doing. Hopefully, um, you know, you've got no right to make me feel uncomfortable or, or to make me have any kind of um, distress. And I don't mean that in a kind of snowflake way. I just mean my health is more important to me than yeah than than your business ever will be. Mm. Um, that's so, good. Is that something that's come with age though? No, I've always been fairly unrepentant about, and I think this is why I gravitated towards security awareness so much, that it seemed to be a penalisation of human traits and mm. these bizarre expectations that people were, you know, the weakest link is the trait you see the most. I but remember when I worked for a big company and they used to do phishing simulations where they wouldn't tell you, they would just say like every quarter they'd send X amount or whatever. Yeah. And the CMO at the time was quite like... Um, ashamed of if anybody in his team fell for it and we were probably a huge marketing team across loads of countries and that was a little bit like of a difficult approach was kind of like if we fall for it if our team is the one this quarter who falls for it it's embarrassing I don't know it's yeah there is that kind of show and then you know what how does that then encourage people to be honest yeah and again it falls back to like um tricking people at the white house i was i tricked people over a series of days and the first one of the first people i tricked was the head of homeland security so wow the kind of i guess the little bit of shame i thought that after i tricked him 
it would be like you know setting off sirens and yeah. people running around and pulling cables out not <laughs> but kind of you know doing something to go right somebody's actually done this now um but then if you think back you think of that human like they've got this i guess reputation they've got this um this kind of ego which yeah. you know an ego is not a bad thing um all of a sudden you can see why they might just go maybe it was just like a one-off it could have been from like somebody used to work with i'll just ignore it and and not react to it so you really don't want to have any kind of culture of of sort of blame for for things that are naturally bound to happen i mean most of the human risks that we reduce to zero like you know well close to zero you know sort of surgery and, and aviation stuff it takes a huge amount of work to get there. So you aren't going to get that with email. You're never going to get absolutely zero clicks. You know, with aviation, if somebody's got a problem on their hands, one of them sits there going through a list of things you meant to do in that situation while the other one takes care of it and they have, you know, ridiculous amounts of training. And the, if there's an accident, then everybody around the world all learns from, you know, and things get revised. And mm. it's just a completely different mindset. Security, we always go, oh, well, you know, like humans are the weakest link. Mm. Um, but without humans in it, then we wouldn't we wouldn't need the system. It wouldn't even be um, necessary to have it. So it, it does seem a bit pointless to, to blame the human when they are kind of the intrinsic reason that it needs to exist. And, you know... Yeah. And, and and get annoyed about it against somebody so it's very easy because car makers could do it they could go humans are the weakest link they keep crashing our bloody cars um, well that's an interesting but thing they wouldn't do that because no. they have a duty of and, the, and they have to be more real pragmatic but that's an interesting point that you just made about cars because i feel like with cybersecurity, people make stuff they'll make uh software or whatever mm. And then they'll have people like ethical hackers or bug bounties who have to find vulnerabilities in the system. Yeah. And they have to spend time seeing if they can find a weakness. And if they do, they get money. Imagine if a car manufacturer did that. If they said, I've made a new BMW or whatever, yeah. and I want you guys to go out and drive in it. And if someone dies or finds that there's a fault in it, you know, you just wouldn't do that. And I feel like with software, obviously the implications aren't as bad or the consequences aren't as severe. But there does need to be more onus on the people who make it to ensure that they're safe and not be like, oh, the users have fallen through some traps, so let's blame them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, some awareness and understanding and everything, you know, it's, if everyone in a company has um, a bit of a nod towards security and understands it and gets the reason for Definitely. it. Definitely. The fact that everyone gets it makes the company that bit secure, but it shouldn't obscure the fact that if we think that the technology can just stay here and eventually we'll be able to bend the humans down to, mm. to kind of, to, to reach that gap, it's not going to work because you can make, you can get technology closer to 100% secure than you can a human. It's, it's just that right. simple. So you've got to get yeah. better technology, I think. And that's one of the things I'm working on at the minute as well, helping some, build some, uh, train some AI um, to kind of, help with email security and stuff. So that's been quite interesting okay. to work on. And... So I'm really interested to know then um, about your job before you launched your business, which I'm interested to know how you transitioned into going from being one of the bad guys to being an educator. Hmm. Were you fired from your job? Um, at, at the advertising agency? Yeah. Um, no. Okay. It, it, no, I definitely wasn't. I don't need to, I don't, I don't know why I'm thinking about it. it definitely wasn't a firing it was a case of once the white house story got out and all the headlines were kind of there um it, it was funny in a way funny looking back anyway i, I remember seeing because we had um glass walled offices and i remember seeing like all of upper management in one of these offices oh right and this was like the next day after all these headlines and it was it, it must have dawned on me as unusual even though i hadn't gone oh they've not been in done that i've not seen them do that for x amount of weeks or months or whatever and I think at the back of my head, it kind of chuckled to itself and thought, oh, I wonder, wonder if that's about me. Um, and then a few more kind of days passed and I saw my boss looking at me a bit funny and a bit sheepishly. And um, I was kind of just ignoring it all, though. I just thought, no, you're making it up. You're just being paranoid. 
Um, and then somebody at work where one of management asked me to come into a meeting and they were like, you know, you, you're suspended. You can't go back to your desk. You're not allowed to contact anybody. Oh, right. Place. Okay. Um, I found out then that my computer was put into like a big forensic bag. Okay. Which it came back in. Um, I've got a picture of a mate holding up the forensic bag to show me afterwards uh, when he was allowed to talk to me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they sent it off. But it makes perfect sense because yeah. they didn't they didn't know what I was up to. They didn't no. know they would just find pictures of cats and, you know, that on my computer. It could have been full of viruses or I could have been right. chatting on the dark web or right. anything. And so I'd inadvertently become what could only be considered an inside of threat because, you know, mm. I was sort of bringing, my actions were bringing attention on everyone that was associated with me. And this right. is one of the things that, I guess really brought into perspective that whilst I didn't care what happened to me and I didn't care about consequences, you know, I would have probably put most things knowing that they wouldn't have been all that big. Um, well, not allowing for, you know, nutcases, obviously. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, you know, it was affecting my work. It was affecting my family. Um, you know, they were all getting stressed by it. So it, it had to stop, but, yeah, I was suspended, um, sent home, but I'd never been happier. Um, in a weird way, it was kind of like a terrible thing, but I, f I felt such relief um, driving home. Wow. To, to tell my girlfriend, who was off because she poorly she has chronic pain, she was at home to say that I'd been suspended because I knew that the thing that I was really fighting to do, which was to, to, to move on and get out of a job, which I just found really, really hard to stay into, just to keep turning up and getting the money, I found I was struggling, struggling really badly. Um, the fact that that decision was taken out of my hands and I knew that I would never be going back and that, that kind of chapter right. was closed was, okay. was such a relief. Yes. Um, so for a little bit, I was a, a paid prankster. I got, got donations to prank Oh, people. did you? Yeah, yeah. Really? Um, and you didn't do anything malicious with that then? It was more just like a game people could pay you to do something silly or was yeah, it so actually... it was just kind of encouraging me to continue as is to okay. keep going after people, I guess. Um, and how were you getting paid for that then? Uh, kind of donations via like fundraising things. and. But was it through like PayPal? Yeah, yeah. So again, this is what's really interested me about this story is that I assume there was going to be way more veiling and way more secrecy. Ah, well, th this is the problem. This This is the big problem because... I didn't realize that in one of these um, like crowdsourcing funding um, platforms that when I linked it to my PayPal address, it actually just literally ported over my address and name onto one of like the thank you pages. Oh my. Um, and all of a sudden somebody contacted me um, by DM saying like, dude, I don't know if you realize this, but you know, this, this address is there and name. And I was like, cause I knew it was mine, um, obviously. <laughs> Um, but I just laughed at it. Ha ha, you didn't think I'd put my real address in yeah. there, did you? I'm not that stupid. Um, but obviously I was. And <laughs> at that point, the Daily Mail had kind of got hold of it. Um, oh. Or, or sort of knew my name. And then they were trying to coax me into sort of, I guess, re revealing myself via a story through them. And they were running pretty hot and cold and I thought well I'll just try and ignore them and continue but the more pranks I was I was doing afterwards and the more attention that was getting the more they were quite belligerent about sort of tra tracking me down and they were like sitting on their necks oh my goodness really and stuff yeah it got got to the point where it was like well what can I do you know so you had like paparazzi waiting for you well in the wrong place but right I don't know if it may have just been one. It might be in paparazzi or okay. Or yeah, yeah. They were. It clearly shows that for a certain amount of time that they realised that people. You were might find yourself in... uh, on I'm a Celebrity then. In that case, if you've been in the newspapers, <laughs> that will be your next thing. Oh God! <laughs> I did have. Um, what was it? The producers of um, Exit Through the Gift Shop. Okay. The Banksy film. Okay. Um, they reached out to me. They were gonna try and get a commission off BBC Three. And it, it was then, this wasn't somebody winding me up. Yeah, I was um, going to say, have you ever... To come and do a kind of fly on the wall thing of yeah. uh, me sat around pranking people in my dressing gown and stuff. Um, but it struggled a bit. I don't think it was, I think legally it was 
a bit hit and miss. And obviously the the clock was ticking now. It was my identity was sort of leaking out. And whilst I really wanted to continue, um, it was just becoming unfeasible. I couldn't imagine how if people went, oh yeah, James Linton's done that prank again. That wouldn't yeah. be the same as this. Right. Who is this mystery person? It just yeah. wouldn't. Um, and obviously it brings all the attention on, you know, your family and, and, and stuff like that. So it had to stop yes. now. Um, and what do you think the future of email is? Because I kind of feel like it feels like quite an archaic way of communication. Hmm. Like in today's world where things move so quickly, my sister and I were laughing the other day about the fact that people say things like, I hope this message finds you well and best wishes and stuff. And yeah, it's like, yeah. we're having a conversation. Why do we do things like that? Hmm. It's kind of... Happy to eat, meet you. Yeah, it's like such a slow and odd thing. And it feels quite dated, even though we use it all day, every day. Yeah. Or do you think, do you think that it's going to change, especially with AI? Like I, the other day, someone uh, pitched me to a client and they got ChatGPT to write it for me, uh, for them introducing me. And then they emailed me afterwards saying, ha ha, that was ChatGPT. And I was kind of like, yeah, I could tell. Yeah, I find that. I find I can, there's a certain thing that's missing about yeah there it. is the, 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 i don't know if it's the the perfectness of the how it writes or just the lack of it's a bit soulless yeah i think email itself is it's it's tricky to get away from because it's it, it, it is kind of like its own little nomadic world which is not attached to an individual business or or kind of anything like that it's this central office i guess of communication where everyone can kind of reach you using this one connection point and you could just give that address out to one person um and and have quite a a, a tight level of security and, and and lack of risk on it but obviously you, you stick in a service somewhere and all of a sudden that gets breached or leaks out and then your data's kind of um getting all over the place and that means that your email address is now like a golden ticket to somebody because they can go, right, well, this is also the sat-nav location of the office where this person does this stuff. What identities are most likely to be in that inbox? And obviously people gravitate towards, you know, Microsoft emails and, and Netflix if it's more consumer-based and try and think of what would make sense when it turns up there, what would be relevant, just hedging the bets and mm. let's pretend to be them. All of a sudden you've got a way of trying to trick people into giving over credentials and stuff. So the actual mechanics of, of, of tricking someone are actually fairly simple, I guess, in just a matter of scale and persistence. Um, but email itself, I think, is hard to get away from and, and all the movement towards you know messaging like slack and things like that it, it's still mm. this it's still not got that permanence of where somebody in a different country in a different business in a different industry can contact you directly there's that yeah that thing. and i think the filing element of it as well like i've got like folders for my accountant folders yeah, for yeah, yeah, different exactly. people you on slack everything vanishes so quickly yeah it is like an office it is literally that's how i see it like you you kind of office where yeah um and and Consequently, you should curate it. You should try and reduce the amount of static mm. in your office, I think. And Anna to... needs to sort her email out. I remember when Anna, who's doing some work experience Did with me. Did she share a screen here? Just oh, the, my the goodness me. Everywhere. When I saw her email address, there was like hundreds and hundreds of um, LinkedIn notification emails. <laughs> oh, don't even mention the, the password. If, if, <laughs> if, if you're constantly going to the LinkedIn app, you don't need most of the notes. No, I totally. Yeah, I was like, give me a screen. Let's uh, let's turn all of those. And off. that is tricky. That somebody who loves to study emails, I do notice less and less that services aren't quite so quick to send them out. Often you have to go mm. in and try and cajole it into sending you stuff. Well, LinkedIn. Because... I mean, when we did go in to turn it off, you had to go into so many different like views to turn them off. There were so yeah. many notifications that they were sending constantly via email, and I can't understand why they would be doing that. What a waste of everyone's time and space. To have it so granular. Yeah. yeah. I guess it's just a Who needs that? I mean, Microsoft own them, don't they? And they, they are oh, quite, do they? A, quite a granular company in terms right. of... Right. Uh, if you go like um, Microsoft's email account compared to Google's... I don't know, actually, Google's got quite a bit. Well, I have one final question for you, hmm. um, which is, do you have something that you're currently enjoying that you would recommend? That could be something you're watching, reading, uh, a game, like something that you recommend, basically. Um, 
think at the minute I recommend living within my own energy reserves. Okay. I've, I've found that I've struggled quite badly with um, burnout. I don't know if it's autistic burnout, traditional burnout, mm. ADHD burnout, what type of burnout it is. But I did find that I just wasn't able to kind of disconnect. And nobody can, can they? Because we all have responsibilities. We have to, you know, service projects. We have to keep money coming in. We, you know, we have to look after and feed cats. It's very hard. <laughs> it's very hard to break away. And I think the thing that I've learned the most is that it's you, you can only keep kind of using up what you haven't got for so long and right it's going to start affecting the work you're not going to start thinking yes properly everything's going to be affected so you have to be a bit more mindful I've, i'm very much guided by my body you know if you complete if you're knackered and you're feeling sleepy that's not mm. it's not you've been lazy is it it's right. literally body going <laughs> yeah it's time for now there's, there's a, a psychological physiological phys- reaction going on here and you need to rest. So, yeah, I, I guess being kinder to yourself is yeah. one of the main things that I'm trying to do at the minute because I used to be terrible. I just beast myself. Yeah. Just... That's really good advice, actually, because I have my own business. And about, well, in January of this year, I went to Australia to see my sister. Mm. And although I still had some client work to do, I didn't take on anything else, didn't do any marketing or nothing for the whole of January. And I came back so renewed. Yeah. And I had so much creativity. And so, yeah, you're right. Sometimes you do just have to stop. Um, Definitely. Well, my recommendation at the moment is a book I'm reading, which is called uh, Cleo and Frankenstein, which actually I'm a huge book lover. So anyone who comes to my house, I've got like piles and piles of books absolutely everywhere. And this one I did actually just buy for the cover because it was beautiful. But it is a fantastic, gorgeously written book. And it's a debut of the author. Um, so that's what I recommend. And I think time away from a screen is really valuable. And books are that for me. Yeah, that's why I kind of think I'll throw my laptop in the sea. Because I know that I love kind of data and problems and ingesting stuff and churning stuff over. But I also kind of know that it's probably not good for me. And I struggle, like most people think, to kind of detached from it i think a lot of people now are almost rely on the stress and the tension and the deadline and the stuff there's this kind of dopamine release to 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 keep being productive definitely Um, yeah definitely well thank you so much it's been very fascinating i've been really looking forward to this talk so thank you for your time how can our listeners get in touch with you if they want to and give the name of your business as well? So is it the whole? I don't want to be contacted by anyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, Google James Linton on, um, or, or put it into LinkedIn. Okay, perfect. Um, Great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time and thanks for listening. Um, this is a brand new podcast, so we would really appreciate you following, subscribing, sharing it with everybody. And um, we'll be back at the same time.